0: Welcome to the School Business Leadership Podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by Neil Limbrick. We talk about the challenges facing the sector today and how SBLs and ICT teams can work together to create some truly innovative and sustainable solutions. In particular, Neil digs into the key relationship that is the SBL and the ICT lead and talks about how you can develop a shared mission and vocabulary to make that partnership even stronger. Let's dive in. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Neil Limbrick. Neil has worked in education full-time since November 2000. He has worked in a range of schools, multi-academy trusts, and is now a full-time IT consultant and partner at his own firm, Limbrick Consultancy LLP. He also sits on various committees, including the Birmingham Association of School Business Management, and is both chair of the Sandwell SBM Network and an ambassador for the Association of Network Managers in Education, ANME. Neil also supports various education-based organisations, including school improvement and governance teams, sports providers and SBM training providers. He has also served as a parent, staff and community governor, including being chair of governors in two schools and vice chair in a third. Under the guise of the Education Collective, Neil supports a network of around 100 online communities supporting a range of education-based peer-to-peer groups, such as governing bodies, multi-academy trusts, teaching school alliances, headteacher consortiums and commercial software user groups. In total, this equates to around 10,000 users, but it is the 5,000 school business managers in the 40 or so local, regional, and specialist national networks that Neil devotes much of his spare time to It's for this work that he was honoured with a fellowship by Isbul in 2015. When not sat at a laptop, which generally travels with him wherever he goes and rarely leaves his side, he is found watching, playing, or fixing trains to feed the obsession of his son. Today, Neil is joining me to talk about how SBLs can work more effectively with their ICT team and how they can work better together. Welcome, Neil. Thank you. I'm so glad that you have come on this podcast to talk about ICT teams because they are the teams, I think, that when it's going well, you know, people don't really talk about them and it's only when it's going disastrously wrong that it becomes an issue. And obviously, with the pandemic over the last 18 months, I think this is their time to step forward, a bit like SBLs in some ways.
1: Yeah, one of the best things about the M E that I'm part of is seeing the discussions that IT managers are having and network managers are having. And it's been really obvious in the last 18 months, they've really grown up. They've gone from talking about purely technical things and now they're talking about best ways for kids to learn, best ways that kids can, can you know get engaged and be in the classroom and that relationship between the teacher and, and the pupil that's so important, how they can support that. So I definitely think as a, as a profession, it's been a real baptism of fire and they've Responded in most cases and, and excelled, and it's been been brilliant to watch. It's been one of the one of the real plus points of, of the last eighteen months.
0: I think as well with IT, it's one of those things people assume IT is. Well, everything's working. You can log on at an appropriate speed, and you know the the system comes on. The systems are working, but it's much more than that, isn't it? In terms of what IT can add, in terms of quality of provision, like you say, those conversations that have been happening.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know. The, the IT or network manager role is is not that different to the school business management role. It, it covers so many things. You've got estate management in there, albeit digital estate management. You've got a certain element of HR and, and there should be some finance going on. All those things that are in the eSport professional standards actually fall under the you know the, the guise of what, what the network managers do. So there's a lot between the two roles. So as a school business manager, you know the new things you've had to do over the last 18 months and how easy you've 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 made it look especially with things like the free school meals that were such a nightmare that nobody else really knew the nightmare you were going through but you were just getting on and doing it and and Mm. network managers have been exactly the same they've had to just get on and do it and there's been a huge amount of work involved in the background to get you know things like office 365 and, and google platforms up and running all those extra chromebooks and things that were dropped on schools by the dfe which are incredibly valuable but You know, it took a lot of work for those teams to get up and running and get out and get deployed. So there's been a lot of paddling of feet underneath the surface to to make sure that everything looks like it's working well and that kids can just get on and, and carry on learning as best they can in their home environment.
0: Like you say, in the pandemic, the school business managers and IT teams have had their own challenges. You know, it was down to the school business managers to to feed the children and make sure that they were safe. And it was down to IT to basically deliver remote learning full stop. Under whatever way that the school decided to do it, it was down to IT just to deliver that. So, like you say, such an unusual position for IT to be in, in terms of it. if they don't do it, it's not happening.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, talk about being under the microscope. I mean, every yes. every decision they made... We know was very instant and with devices going home it was very public it was very and very difficult for them to to you know keep control of it because it's it's very difficult as soon as things leave the boundary of the school you you no longer have control over it you've got to be pretty confident that the kids are, are being kept safe because the right right filtering and and resources are on the laptop to make sure that it's 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 not being You know, children aren't being exposed to extra risk with a safeguarding sense. And then you've got the the security element of suddenly everybody's accessing your devices from anywhere in the world. That Mm -hmm. suddenly goes from a few people that can compromise your system to millions and millions of people that can compromise your system. And we've seen the cybersecurity things that that have come out where schools have been hit and mats have been hit because suddenly you've had to open things up and that, that introduces that extra risk. And it had to be done so quickly. This is the kind of deployment you'd normally plan for 12, 18 months, two years, maybe even longer than that. And it was happening in a matter of days and weeks. So, I mean, it's it's been phenomenal. The, the change that's happened um, has just been unbelievable. And I guess the challenge now is learning what worked, well, learning what didn't work. There was a, an article put out by the, the Cybersecurity Cent- Center yesterday, um saying that, you know, it's now it's been fine the last three months, but it's now no longer to say, well it just works, let's get on with it. You have now got to go back and look at it and make sure that all those things you did quickly to get them up and running, you now have to make sure are done properly. and, And you know, and that's that's the next job that IT managers have got to do. And it's it's not a small one really, especially when, you know, you've got to maintain what you've already provided and make sure it's secure without sort of taking anything away. So that's the next challenge for them. It's going to be a big uh, the, the next 12 months is probably more challenging in some ways than the last 12 months because you haven't got any excuses anymore. You can make the excuse that you had to do it quickly and that, you know, it was, it was all um, rapid development, but now you, you've got to really sort of step up and make sure that it's done properly, which is not easy.
0: And I suppose the other side of it is, this is not something that we had to do that we are going to undo. Like you say, this is here to stay and it's going to be built on. And the pace of change has been so fast yeah, it's open people's eyes to actually this is what IT can do. So what else can we do? How can we change our provision and, and make best use of that in the future moving forward? How can we be more creative? Which, again, is IT right at the front, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and, and that's the challenge really. And, you know, it's it's a question of of what people forget with IT is there's a lot of technology involved, but ultimately they're people systems and it's led by people and it's people mm-hmm. making decisions as to whether it works or not. You can spend a lot of money on IT but if you put it in an empty building, it doesn't do anything. Yet yeah, I've yes. seen people with very old technology. I was talking to somebody yesterday who's got a 10-year-old computer and they're producing some fantastic stuff. And that's not the latest, greatest technology and they're still able to do things. So, you know, it's it's the people that make the difference as to how well technology works. So, you know, the IT manager can do a lot, but it needs other people in the school to really work with them to make sure that it's it's being used and it's, it's you know, you're getting value for money out of the kit, really, because, you know, just having it so people can log on and check their email, you're spending a lot of money if that's all the kit's being used for. Mm. You then need to think about what else can you do beyond just word processing or just doing a PowerPoint. You know, the more things you can use it for, the more value for money you then get from it. So it's 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 not really one person that, that determines how good the IT is in a building. It's a, a whole team approach, really. It's something that everybody's got to be on board with um, for it to work well.
0: As a school business manager, we line manage lots of disciplines, don't we? Like you say, we've got HR, we've got finance, we've got you know health and safety and premises, and we've mm-hmm. got IT as, as just one of those. And I think as a mm-hmm. school business manager, it can be quite intimidating when you're managing people who... You don't really know the, the the full depth of what it is that they do in terms of being able to manage them or to help them or you know making sure that they have what they need from you. And this is what we're talking about today, isn't it? How can you know school business managers and IT teams work better together? What are your views on that? You know, do you see any kind of common disconnects or any you know common strengths in terms of what works well in those relationships?
1: I think one of the biggest problems is. There's a huge disconnect between the expectations of the the school leadership team, particularly the school business manager, and the expectations of the IT team of of what's expected of them, uh, and I think that does become big, from the fact that IT seems a little bit of a, a a dark art and a little bit alien to a lot of people, um, that they they can't possibly understand it. But if if you think about it in the right way, it is just digital asset management. Computers are just like Furniture, you know, you replace them when they need replacing and they have a, a lifespan that you think about when when to upgrade them. And I just think IT teams don't really know what what the school want them to do, so they make up their own minds about what they want to do, and that's how they measure what they do. And and it isn't always, you know, the, the the thing that they could be doing most effectively. The school could, with a little bit of steer, actually give them a bit of guidance as to what, what it is they're looking for from them. Uh, and and that can make a massive difference. So, for example, IT techs might see that their job is to close as many tickets as possible because that's the focus of what they're doing. But measuring how many tickets are on a help desk isn't really a good idea of how how well the IT is working in the classroom. And, and I'm also not sure how often network managers and IT managers go into a classroom and see what's happening in there. And that's you know where all the all the magic has to happen. That's what they're supporting. That's what they're looking to make better. And if they don't go into a classroom, how can they possibly know that that's, that's what what needs to be done better? And if the school don't set an expectation that actually what we're looking for is not the best technology in the world and the best, you know, 100% uptime network, what we need is the teachers to be supported and the teachers to understand how to use the equipment. And that actually it's, it's about the people and about the training and about supporting them if you don't make that clear to them, they'll, they'll go off on their own and find their own ways of measuring it because they're coming at it from a different angle to school business managers. They're very data driven because everything in it is binary. Either something's working or it isn't something's Mm. up or it isn't something's effective. Something's installed or it isn't. That's kind of how they measure themselves. They're very, very data driven, which schools traditionally weren't data driven in the last 20 years. They've become more data driven. So they're coming into that world. What, what, technicians need to do go back the other way and look more at the people about the rounded success about, about the broader, broader benefits of, of being in a school and look at you know the bigger picture really and, and they don't do that they just look at the, the technology in a lot of cases I mean I'm generalizing massively but you know that that's how industry is so that's how they feel it is in schools but schools aren't the same as industry in terms of IT and that's what I think is so, so great about it.
0: And sometimes I find from a school business manager point of view, if you can sit with your IT team and say, this is what I want to happen in an ideal world, what is the best way of making that happen? Sometimes that can encourage people or encourage IT teams to, to have that conversation and say, actually, there are more options. If it's black and white, actually, IT are best placed to say, there are a number of ways you could do this. Here are the pros and cons of each.
1: Yeah, and and. If, if you've got a good team and you're looking to retain them, it's the best way to do it to get them more involved. If you think about the life of an IT manager, if they're just left to their own devices, it's about making sure everything's working, which always means what do we replace next? What do we change next? And, and having worked in schools for a long time. After you've done that two or three times and you've replaced the servers two or three times and you've put whole new networks in two or three times and you've put, you know, wireless in and it gets very repetitive and it's very dull because you're just doing the same thing and it almost feels like, you know, you're starting again every so often. It takes a lot of effort to look at something big like like a new server deployment every time. So if you've got other projects to get involved in, you know, schools are fantastic communities and we know... If everybody in the school worked purely to their job description, schools wouldn't work. They wouldn't function. It just doesn't mm-hmm. happen because everybody has to go above and beyond in order to just keep things happening. You know, you'd have no after-school clubs. You'd have no trips. You'd have, you know, no sort of other extra things that are really necessary in a school. Um, and IT teams rarely seem to get, get wrapped up in that and don't seem to, you know, get, get involved beyond that. And I, I I think it's because, you know, they, they're, in some ways, they're up against it because everybody in school is their customer and anybody at any time can ask them to do some work so going out and you know mixing with with other people in school quite often feels like you're exposing yourself to the risk of getting more work landed on you and more things to do and more problems to solve and and if you can just sort of hide away then that that won't happen because you'll never get to a point where there's no problems in school so you know it's 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 quite a challenge for them and that's why a lot of people are very insistent in schools that you have to lock something on a help desk in order to do it because you know it's that sort of well if you put a bit of effort in it it protects me a little bit from just you know getting asked to do everything by everybody every uh, you know at every moment so I think there is, there is a, a real opportunity to show that there's more to life in a school than just doing your job and that actually schools as communities are fantastic places there's lots of opportunities and lots of things you can get involved in that you know if you just take the risk then it'll be you know something really beneficial and and they don't always see that and it's, it's not not an easy thing to, to to identify really because the the risks are always that you can end up with a lot more work to do.
0: In terms of like what we're saying here about the IT teams and and almost how they're programmed to approach their role is the answer that school business managers sit with them and ask them those questions and ask for their input and ask for options rather than like you say sometimes we can be guilty of just saying this is what i need to happen you need to make that happen and Um, that limits the the kind of discussion doesn't it do we need to be more open with our questions
1: yeah i think even more than that i think you know if you you can really get them to be involved every level then they'll understand more about why they're trying to achieve something so I used to get dragged into meetings um, a couple of schools I was at because they knew if I came into a meeting I'd add something to the conversation that they hadn't even considered using Mm. technology for but you know in, in the end you know assessment and even parental engagement and all the all the different things that schools are trying to achieve the IT team will have ideas about ways to do that And so it's not just about coming up with a problem and going to them to help you with a solution. They can actually help identify the problem and help you find a way around it. So I would say, you know, you need to be talking to them a lot more about all the things that are going on in school. You need your IT team to understand everything that's happening in the school, not just the things you think they can help with, but if mm. they can get that sort of view of everything, like the school business manager does, there's very few things that happen in a school that the school business manager doesn't know about because mm. ultimately the school business manager can can help to, to solve a lot of those problems if, if they're involved early. And it's exactly the same with the IT teams. You know, it, a problem that you won't think is IT-related or a solution that you won't think is IT-related, they'll be able to get involved very, very early on, particularly if you've got a large project coming up or you've got some funding that you think you're going to you can try and bid for you know these are important people to have on the team because you get them involved early and you get them passionate about it they can really help make a difference to it
0: one of the big projects i know that quite a few schools are looking at if and they may already be on the journey with is going paperless in terms of all of the systems of the the kind of business function in terms of the admin teams and the finance and You know, there's a lot of paper still flying around in a lot of schools. And we did a podcast episode about this over the summer. And that is another big project, isn't it? That I think IT, like you say, they've got access to knowledge and insights that would be really beneficial from that initial conversation, not just down the road of, right, we've made a decision, this is what we're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But in order for that to happen and to be done well, in order to come up with a solution, they need to be involved really early on because they need to understand I would imagine if something's paper-based, the IT team know nothing about it. If something's yes. done on paper, they'll have no clue what the process is, what's done with it, why it's needed, you know, what what's involved. And, and when when I was working in school, one of the things I would do is every time somebody, I hate writing. I, I can't, you know, my handwriting's terrible and I, I find it slower than typing. It's it's the whole reason I got into IT in the first place when I was at school was that if I could type my projects, then I could go back and I could correct them and, and fix them. And, you know, it was a lot easier for me. So that's that's kind of the main reason I learned to type on an old fashioned typewriter when I was 14. That's what I spent my summer holiday doing so that I could then, you know, use that rather than having to try and handwrite everything. So... Whenever anybody in a school presented me with a form for anything from, you know, a holiday request form or anything like that. First thing I do is I go into Word and I create a, a, a version of it that I could type it in. And then I'd share that with whoever it was that had given me the form in the first place and suggest they they share that with people first as well. And, you know, that that mindset of I will find a way of just just getting on and doing this. Nobody else is driving that. That was driven by me and my my annoyance about paper but you know it ultimately led to a lot more things becoming paperless and and saving a lot of money and you know so it's it's about a like school business managers do they don't always feel that they have the ability to change things um Mm -hmm. it's making sure it know that it's okay to do that and that you can change things and it are in one of the best chances to change things because you know in some ways if they say something's going to happen a certain way it almost has to because, you know, they can lock down the system so that you can't do it any other way. So they're really well placed to do it. If you can just get them passionate about it and free them up and allow them to do it and let them know that not only they can do it, but you expect them to do it to be looking for those opportunities to do things. Um, and they'll relish it, you know, give them a, give them a, an an honorary title of, of, you know, uh, paper destroyer or something like that. And, you know, they'll, they'll be able to take that and run with it. and, and, come up with new ways of doing it that you won't even think about going into them because you know if if you've got this mindset that it is something i don't understand how can you possibly understand how you know how best to take advantage of it and what it can do for you and we seem to forget with it the whole reason it exists is to make people's lives easier to automate things to streamline things to make things faster quicker better but people don't sort of approach it like that they almost see it as a necessary evil because it lets you do something else further down the line or it's a way of sharing things but if it isn't making your life easier and saving you time there's something wrong there and that's that's where you need to get your head around your relationship with it in the school and the relationship of other people who use it in the school and whether it's solving a problem or creating a problem or missed opportunities and paperless is, is a perfect example because it's cheaper Generally, it's quicker, it's more efficient, the stuff can get stored, you don't need filing cabinets, all those different benefits to it. But that's just one example, you know, there's, there's, there's dozens of examples of things that you can do in a school to save money and be more efficient.
0: We've talked about how ICT and school business managers work together, but is there anything that you think, in your experience, the school business managers do that really annoys IT teams and what can we stop doing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this is going to get me into trouble if I start listing too many, isn't it? But, um, I, th- I think the first thing is expectations aren't always clear. I don't think, you know, IT teams necessarily know what uh, is expected of them, as we said before. So making sure you're clear with them in you know in the nicest possible way. It's about supporting them. I think that's um, vital. Um, and then, as we said, include them in in as early as possible in any strategic thinking, get their opinion, get them involved, get them excited about, about helping you to change things, get them on on board with you. I think another thing that school business managers do is they are cautious about challenging IT teams um, because they don't understand or they feel they don't understand. They don't have the knowledge and, you know, an IT techs, some can take advantage of that and, you know, sort of throw some, some things out there to, to cover the tracks of what they're doing if they're you know, having a, a lazy day or not, not particularly confident about something, then they'll, they'll you know, some will take advantage of that. But, you know, that challenge has got to be there. And if you don't have the knowledge or feel have the knowledge to challenge, then you need to either upskill yourself or get somebody in that can help because there's there's plenty of people out there who are impartial that can, whether it's through mentoring, coaching or, or challenging or something that can help make sure the IT team that understands the IT team. There's nothing wrong with with buying in the knowledge if you don't have the knowledge yourself. And it, it, it's not particularly expensive, but it can really bring you a lot more return out of your team.
0: A bit like we do with health and safety. I think a lot of business managers, you know, feel a bit wary and cautious around health and safety and having all of that knowledge. And like you say, we can either go and train and do iosh or nebosh or we can get in a health and safety consultant and say just tell me what's going on <laughs>
1: yeah exactly exactly and, and it's the same relationship your relationship with your site manager is is particularly you know probably the same as relationship with the it manager in that you know they, they do a lot and you don't always have a handle on what they're doing and you know it's, it's it's just the same um very similar it managers and site managers often get on quite well in schools because they they have a mm. min- similar sort of approach and and way of working and you know so it, yeah it, it it is no different to any other discipline in school really that um, that um if you need a bit of extra help then get a bit of extra help. I think the other big assumption that that is fed largely from the IT industry I would say is that schools assume the more money they spend the better the technology will be mm-hmm. um, and that's not always the case because as we said earlier it's about how you use it you can spend a lot of money on it, but if no one knows how to use it, then it's it's not providing any value for money at all. So you've got to really sort of be clear about what you're purchasing. And, and you know, procurement is difficult, but what you've got to bear in mind all the time for learning to work really well in a school, for a school to be, which is that, you know, a school's prime objective is to, to help kids to learn. And for that to be strong, the relationship between the teacher and the student needs to be strong. Um, so if you're buying any sort of technology, you've got to be clear that you know how that's going to make that, that relationship stronger. And it can be directly, you know, by making lessons more interesting, giving them access to extra resources that will help teach a particular subject. But also, you know, making sure that their workload, the teacher's workload is as Light as possible with taking registers and recording assessment and all those kind of things is as light and easy as possible because that gives them more time then to invest in that relationship with the pupil rather than having to be filling in paperwork. But also, Mm. you know, all those other things like recording attendance and being able to look at attendance and see which kids are potentially not in the classroom enough, one way or another, that helps build that teacher relationship with the pupil because you can do something about it where they're not there. Because if the kid isn't in the room, there's no relationship at all. So there's lots of ways IT can help. But fundamentally, it's got to be helping that relationship. Otherwise, it's probably a waste of money. There were some fantastic examples of where schools have spent money on really flash IT suites and, um, you know, one to one devices. But they put no thought into how they're going to be used. And, mm. and so they end up just you know, not being used. And it's such a waste of money. And that's what you've got to avoid, really. But that's true of not just big projects like that, but just a single piece of software. If you're thinking about buying it, understand how it's going to make things better, and really challenge the staff that are asking for it mm-hmm. about how will you use it and what will it look like. You know, it's, it's it's all those sort of, and and don't get the IT team's opinion on it on that because. We all hate new software. Anybody wants to bring new software into school, it's the worst thing you can possibly do to us. So we will resist it at all lengths to install any new software on the network. It really has to be, you know... Up. If it's for us to make our lives easier, then we're more likely to want to install it and we're probably badger you to spend the money on it. But if it's a curriculum resource, then we'll we'll really fight back against it because it's just the worst job to have to do in a school.
0: I've sat in SLT meetings and someone said, right, we're going to buy, you know, 60 iPads and I've been there as the business manager, saying okay. So you know the IT implications of that in terms of setting up and managing the devices, and then training the teachers on the apps that they say they want to use, but they've seen somebody else has said was good, and then they need to know how to use it to teach the children how to use it. And they say it's very easy, isn't it? For a disconnect to happen during that process.
1: Mm. There's there's a buzzword that was a phrase that was going around a few years ago that sometimes have died off a bit now, um, called total cost of ownership, and it's particularly used. Printers were the prime example because you buy a printer and you can buy a printer for 30 quid these days, but then the cartridges might cost you 40 quid or 50 quid. And so mm-hmm. it's not just about how much the printer is, how much is going to cost you through the entire life lifespan of that printer because you've, you've got a plan for buying a new cartridge every two months at, at 50 quid. And it's going to cost you a lot more money than maybe a different printer that has cheaper cartridges or, you know, might cost a bit more upfront. So it's that idea of not just the single thing you're buying, but everything that's Mm. associated with it. The most complicated one probably being your management information system because if you change that, you've got to have training for every member of staff. You've got to look at all the add-ons you need. Well, you still need Mm. SISR for assessment and all those different elements. So you have to understand it's not just about buying the devices. How much is it going to cost, not just to get them in, but to get them working well? And how long will it take to get them working well? Because you drop an iPad on somebody's desk on day one, it's not going to work. It's going to be six, 12 months before they're really taking advantage of it. And you've yeah. also got to build in, well, we'll buy these iPads now but and we're going to hope they're really successful. But if they're really <laughs> successful, that means we're going to have to buy some more in three years because we'll have to replace them. Because if they become embedded in the school, you can't live without them then. So, you know, and they only last three to five years, depending on what it is you're buying and what you're looking to do with them. So it's not just about buying that thing at that time. It's planning ahead how you'll replenish it and too few school IT departments have that overview of how much money they're going to need over the next 10 years. I always produce a, at least a five-year plan of, well, if we want to stay where we are, we've got, I don't know, 500 computers and we want to still have 500 computers. That's the plan, assuming nothing major changes forever, that we'll always have these computers dotted around the school. How much is that going to cost? How much do I need this year, next year, the year after? And you have that, that life cycle replacement financial plan just to give you know the school business manager or the finance officer some idea of what kind of budget you're going to be asking for in advance because if you ask for it in advance, you're more likely to get it than if you say, well, we need to buy this now and we haven't given you any notice. So too few IT departments do that that financial planning, but that's a big part of that. So if you're looking to buy 60 iPads, before you say yes, that has to get folded into your five-year plan for how much you're going to spend on IT as to where the replenishment is, where the extra costs are, what needs to get upgraded. So you can look at the overall cost and what that does to the annual budget of IT because IT isn't ever a one-off purchase. So you can then present that and say, yes, you can have these 60 iPads, but it's going to cost you an extra £25,000 a year just to sustain everything in the background and you've got a plan for it replacing it it's a different decision then to just can we afford the ipads it's can we afford to own the ipads over that longer period and that's about preparing if you've got that five-year plan that you always keep up to date so at the drop of a hat you can produce that somebody asks for a big project you can weave that into that plan and say yes but this is what it does to the figures and it's then not your decision it's then the school's decision obviously as to as an it person as to whether the school wants to go ahead with it or not and spend that money or not ultimately i guess it's the governors that would decide but then they know the whole picture and they know what you're going to ask for um, and, and what's involved in doing it and you're helping them make a better decision because they won't see any of that because as we've said knowledge of what else is involved in getting those iPads in is is fairly limited because it is a, a bit of a an alien world and a bit of a black art as to all the other things it can impact
0: as you were talking, I'm smiling because I'm just thinking of how I used to work it with my IT network manager. And he was amazing. And he did this plan. Mm. And because I, I was thinking, about, how much is this going to cost me? You know, how much do we need? Because IT shouldn't, well, it never should be, you know, every five years we're replacing everything. Like you say, everything has to go on a cycle, doesn't it? You've got the maintenance yeah. costs and all the, the yeah. licensing and the support costs and all of that. And then you've got the, right, okay, so really what we need to be doing is doing like these three classrooms this year, then those three next year and so on and so on.
1: And, and it doesn't mean you have to do that. It, it can mean that, you know, you do decide to get rid of a classroom or add an extra classroom. It doesn't mean you're you're locking in that that's what you're going to do forever. But what mm-hmm. it does mean is you've got a benchmark of if you do nothing, this is, what, this is what it's going to cost. And then when you decide to do something better, you're either doing it to save you some money. So you can say, well, let's switch from this type of device, to this type of device, and that will save us this much over this many years. Or it's, it's going to give you something more, something extra. So you can see that you're spending more but it's, you can see why it's worth it and you can see exactly what, what, what that does to the, to the income or the, the outgoings rather.
0: All essential information for the school business manager in the budget, especially if the school business manager is having a bit of a battle with the leadership team or the governance in terms of what the money should be spent on down the road.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and if you've got an up-to-date asset register, which you should have, which is quite easy to do, then reducing that report is a piece of cake because you've got you know, all the devices and all the kit so, it's, it's you know, if you know how much each piece of kit is to replace, then it's very easy to go from an asset register to a 5, 10, 12, 20-year plan. Really, really straightforward. Mm. So, you know, you if you haven't got an up-to-date asset register of all your IT kit, that that is vital, um, you know, and you can link that in with PAT testing. When you do your PAT testing, that's almost doing an audit for you, isn't it, if you get a list of everything that's been PAT tested. So that's a good starting point if you haven't got one. Um, but, you know, how can you possibly... Um, work out a plan and a strategy of, of what you can do moving forward if you don't know what you've got now as a starting point and how much it's costing you um, because you know it's it's going to be outside of um, you know staffing costs and exam fees and, and utility bills. IT is probably one of the biggest spends you'll you'll do in a school, but it seems to be the area that people are the weakest in terms of planning and knowing what their IT costs are.
0: And I suppose, as we touched on before, with all the change that's happened and is still happening, and maybe about to happen, you know, people are going to be looking to spend more on it or reshape their ICT mm-hmm. strategy. So it's more than just making sure you have, you know, an effective and efficient infrastructure. It's about actually, what are the plans beyond that to develop it and to move it forward.
1: Yeah, and there's there's a measure, um, sort of a gauge that I've, I've put together um, that I think is a really good way of. of understanding the value for money for it because there's different phases that your it development go through and this is not one overall sort of phase this is each individual element including your it team themselves the staff will go through sort of this development cycle and and the, the lowest part of the cycle but the worst part that the one one end of it is um I, I usually phrase it crisis management but it's probably that's probably a little bit dramatic but If you imagine you've got something that absolutely doesn't work, you've paid a fortune for it, but it doesn't work. You can't turn it on. Let's say it's it's a new MIS. Nobody knows how to take the registers in it. Nobody knows how to access any of the data in it, but you're paying a fortune for it and you need it. So if it's that stage for you, then you're in crisis management and you're you're not really getting the best of it because not only is it not doing what you wanted, but you're probably investing a lot of time in it as well. So it's costing you more than it should and it's not doing what it should do. So it's not giving you value for money. So mm-hmm. those are things you obviously develop first, things that are working least well. And you, you focus on those. And what you do is try and get them to a point where they're doing what you need them to do, the bare minimum. So that kind of stable and reliable, if you like, is how easy you phrase it. It's working. It's doing what you want. It's it's not doing all the bells and whistles, but it's just doing the bare minimum. So your MIS is collecting all the registers. It's collecting all the stuff you need to be able to do for a census. You can do a census return without too much um, too much work. But you're not really getting any more out of it, but it's doing everything you need it to do to justify what you spent on it. You're happy that what you wanted to achieve, you're now achieving with it. And then you've got the third phase, which is kind of the polar opposite of the crisis management, which is value added. So that's where you're still paying the same amount for the same thing. So your MIS is still costing you the same each month or each year. Your license fees are the same and, and the support is the same but you start to use it for a bit more. So you start to really not just do minimal assessment, you do some really fantastic assessment, some fantastic behavior modeling, um, some fantastic things around you know, your, your assets and how you use those. And, and you're really pushing the boundaries of your MIS to do far more than you thought you'd be able to do. And that's where you're in value added and you're doing a lot more with it, but you're not spending any more money on it than you were where it was at the, the stable and reliable phase. So you're getting so much more for your money by doing that, so taking a step back and looking at everything you've got from your your MIS, your wireless, your, your IT team themselves, your door entry systems, your CCTV, all those different systems that you have in in school. Taking a step back and saying, well, where on that gauge is it? Is it over at crisis management, and we're having to spend far more time on it, and we don't rely on it? Is it just doing the bare minimum? But doing it well, so it's stable and reliable, or are we really pushing the boundaries of it? And the more things you're pushing the boundaries of, the more you're getting from the money you're spending, and the more you're getting back, and that's where you're really, you know, really getting that value for money. So that that kind of gauge and that scale is a really important thing to keep in mind to look at where to invest your time in developing, because investing your time doesn't necessarily cost the school anything. Although, obviously, everybody in the school is busy, but it's it's the one area you can get more for your money without having to spend more money
0: I think what you've just said that framework those three stages is probably a really valuable tool for school business managers as well maybe to frame those conversations with their ICT teams if they're not having that dialogue just yet so it was crisis management stable and reliable and then value added
1: yeah and, and you know when I'm, when I'm mentoring somebody the first thing I ask them is what keeps you awake at night what's the thing that you you worry about most and that Mm -hmm. immediately they'll tell you it you know quite often it's the backup because nobody ever feels the backup works or it might be the the stability of the infrastructure but whatever they tell you that is the thing you know is in crisis management and that's the thing you need to get started and then you ask them what's really good what what do you do exceptionally well what is the thing you're most proud of that's usually the thing that's that's at, at, at the opposite end of the scale in the value for money the value added end of the scale so you can very quickly people know where things are in that scale they just can't necessarily put it into words and 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 picture it so if you you know and it works outside of it it's something i've used in it for for a number of years but it does work with pretty much anything else in school that you can assess by looking at that and really everything should be as far over to value added as it can be
0: You do know that after this podcast, I'll probably start using this myself. I will make sure that you are accredited for it in terms of that. But I was thinking of a business manager, you know, in terms of if I was to say that to a business manager, crisis management, you know, where are we, you know, value added? You know, Mm -hmm. usually crisis management is compliance, I think, isn't it? In terms Mm of, like you say, that minimum benchmark, whether it's in terms of functionality or, you know, is everyone complying with the law? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then stable and reliable is, yeah, everything's doing okay. Outcomes are improving and then value added is like, wow, this is amazing. We have done something very innovative and creative and yeah, look at yeah. the impact it's having. It's amazing. So yeah. yeah.
1: And and every school will have something that's, that's at that value added end that's that's exceptional, that they're doing well. The important thing mm-hmm. is not to have anything that's below stable and reliable. You know, if the lights are on and the fire alarms work and all those kind of things, then that's, you know, that's absolutely fine. You don't necessarily have to do more than that, but you know, you need, you need to, this is where your pet projects come in. The things you really want to push, that's where you get the value added and you really invest your time. And you, it's probably something you've got to be passionate about. It's not something you can sort of force. It's got to be something you really, you know, can see and have a vision for. Um, um, but those are the things that, you know, and at the end of the day, that's, that's the thing, the kind of thing that if it's if it's to do with the teaching and learning particularly, those are the kind of things that make a difference between a good school and an outstanding school, you know, mm-hmm. it is, is the value added stuff.
0: It's like you could say value added is. It, you could say value added is above and beyond in a way, and above yeah. and beyond the capability of the software, maybe in this case, or above and beyond the expectations in others, depending on what you're measuring. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I would define stable and reliable for a business manager, and I actually say this is if everyone's been paid if everyone's Mm -hmm. safe, if no Mm -hmm. one's going to go to jail, Mm -hmm. you know, then that's stable and reliable. You're fine today. You have done a good job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. You've you've earned your salary today. That's... uh,
0: Yes. Okay. Before we finish, are there any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with?
1: I just think it's... It's important to remember that the, the IT manager won't have the same experience as you and the IT team. And there's probably ways you can help them because just because you don't understand technology doesn't mean you can't teach them things. You know, cybersecurity is the prime example at the moment. The reason a lot of in-school teams are struggling to give you any guarantees about cybersecurity is they work in this binary world where things are either working or not. It's black and white. It's it's on, it's off. And of course, cybersecurity doesn't work like that. It's It's risk assessment, which... All school business managers know risk assessment really, really well, but IT Mm. teams never talk about risk assessment. So that's one area where you can help your IT team just by introducing them to the idea of risk assessment and that, you know, guarantees aren't, aren't necessary. Just, you know, if you think you've done everything above and beyond and you've done all the risk assessment, then that's fine. So, you know, there are things you can teach them and there are things you can help and support them, even though it's, it's not IT. And the IT is you know I would consider particularly in, later on in my career, I was a assistant business manager as much as I was i t manager because the decisions were the same and and you know i I was looking at it things in the same way the school business manager was, so I think there's more closer relationship with i t than you think there is, and you're probably doing a very similar job, albeit with very different tools so you know you can you can really probably take them under your wing a lot more than you think you can and help them to To understand their role in the school a lot better.
0: I think my IT team used to just be like, "Oh my god, here she comes again." But I used to just talk to them and say, "This is kind of where I'm at." And I think it's developing that kind of dialogue, isn't it, and that common Mm. vocabulary that you can find to talk about those things and find the commonalities and the therefore the mission that you share.
1: Yeah, and and it's like every other member of staff in school. If they can trust you, and they know they can come to you when they're struggling and they they don't have the answers and they don't know, you know because IT is so binary, they expect that, that their expectation is they should always have an answer to it and that they're going to get chastised if they don't. And, you know, and, and that's partly the mindset that IT attracts because, you know, it, it is a certain certain mindset that tends to be attracted to the IT profession because of the way IT works and skills you need to have. It's not totally um, true, but it's, it's, it's largely true that there is a, you know, almost a stereotypical IT person. And, you know, they like, to focus on the the IT systems rather than the people systems and that that's where you can work in partnership with an IT manager help them with the the bits they struggle with and build that trust with them Um, and as Mm. a team you can probably do a lot more than you can as individuals.
0: We used to have Kebab Friday with our IT team the head teacher wasn't very happy about it but I thought it was amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah I, I, I did at one point I had a couple of technicians I made them have lunch in the staff room because you know they, they'd they never leave the office because they could do most stuff in the office and I, I told them that at least one day a week they had to go and have their lunch in the staff room which didn't go down very well but actually they really appreciated by the end of it because it let them you know there was a, a little bit of they picked at work while they were there but also mm-hmm. it, you know it got them involved with staff a lot more and they made a lot of friends doing it that way and understood the school a lot better so you know there is there is probably some some pushing and some some stick as much as there is carrot that you need.
0: I think this comes back to what you said right at the beginning, you know, IT is a people-based system. It's not just a system. Mm-hmm. It needs the people to make it effective. And it's the relationships that underpin all of the things I think that we spoke about today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If, if the people aren't working, the system's never going to work.
0: Thank you so much, Neil, for sharing your wisdom about this area. I know school business leaders will get a lot of value from this. If they have any questions, where can they get in touch with you?
1: So I, I've got quite a few different identities. The easiest one, um, if you're on Twitter, is just at Neil Limbrick on Twitter. Um, my website, basically, if you search Neil Limbrick, it's quite easy because there's not many of us. I think there's only three of us on the electoral roll. So I, I, I find it harder to hide than I do to be found. Um, so <laughs> if you just Google Neil Limbrick, you'll find me. But there's Educationcollective.com, and there is neil.limbrick.me is my personal website. Um, but yeah, if you just search for Neil Limbrick, you'll, you'll find me somewhere.
0: Thank you so much, Neil. I've really enjoyed this today.
1: Well, well, I hope I haven't upset either the school profession or the IT profession by trying to be a bit honest about things. I'll probably get chastised by one or both of them.
0: I'll keep an eye out for my Twitter as well in case I get any messages. I hope I haven't said anything either. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Neil. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Neil is not only an ICT guru, he is a huge supporter of the profession. So if you have any questions or you'd like to continue the conversation about anything you've heard in today's episode, you can find Neil's details and mine in the show notes on my website at www.ljbusinessofeducation.co.uk. If you're listening to this podcast on an Apple device and you like what you've heard, it would be great if you could rate and review the show as it makes it easier for others to find it. You can rate and review the show by selecting the show in the apple podcast app scrolling to the bottom and either tapping the stars to rate and or selecting write a review this show is available in all of the podcast directories just make sure you hit subscribe button in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode thank you so much for listening and i'll see you next week